0: Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nations Maryland Terrapin's Colossus Welcome to Episode 138 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Where if it was a basketball season already, it certainly felt like it. It was good to see a good big game at Xfinity Center with the stadium actually full. Thomas, there is no better place to see a basketball game when it is full than Xfinity Center, and we've both been to a number of really really good games in that building when it's been full. And the atmosphere last night on TV looked like it was properly good Maryland basketball atmosphere. Yeah,
1: I mean, I would I would I would agree with it. You know, they announced the sellout for the first time this year, and it, it's such a stark difference Xfinity when it's full versus when it's not, because they do a lot of things like, you know, turning the lights out and having everyone put up their cell phone lights, that when the building is half full, looks very weak, but when the building is full, looks incredible.
0: Well, it was was funny, because I was listening to the the Mount St. Mary's game on TV, and Annie Katz was complaining, get, Maryland fans, get to the games, and I'm sitting there thinking, they're going to show up for big games. They don't care about Mount St. Mary's on a Sunday afternoon. They really don't, and they don't. Nor should you. Yeah,
1: I mean, the scheduling for Maryland has been, you know, low-level teams at weird times for, for
0: most of the year. But, I mean, now you've got Saturday afternoon when football season's over against a Big Ten school. I mean, it's not going to be sold out for Penn State, but it'll be fine. And then, I mean, they'll, they'll, they're not going to do well when Bradford and Loyola show up. Not Loyola, Chicago, Loyola, Maryland. But they get a conference play when Indiana's and Michigan's, and when they show up, Maryland will be fine. They've always been fine. They've never sold out non-conference games against crappy teams. I don't know why this is a thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the they came close the one year that they were number two in the country. But even then, they didn't. But Yeah, not quite. I, I went mean, to some
0: games where that, that place was not very exciting. And I called games when they were playing Ryder. And they had played a D2 team in the middle of all that. And no one cared. So
1: I will say that the the fans for some of these games were almost, you know, kind of late arriving, which made it look even worse. Like, I think it was the Hofstra game because it was a cold, rainy Friday night or something. And I was like, this is the emptiest I have ever seen this arena. And I covered, like, these kinds of games for women's basketball.
0: I mean, I guess, but it's also, you know, I mean, not like the atmosphere around the program is great, but... Even then, I don't know. I don't like complaining about the attendance too much because I have to do that with all the other teams I root for, strangely enough. So let's not do that. Let's actually talk about the game. And in spite of the fact that I looked at Twitter during the game, which I shouldn't have done because it was all about how Mark Turgeon's terrible. Welcome to Maryland basketball season, everybody. uh, That was actually a game in which I don't know how you could say you're not coming out of that thinking Maryland's in pretty good shape this season, Thomas. I watched that game thinking this could go badly because it's Virginia and Maryland against these kinds of teams never really plays that well. But they actually played better in many ways than I thought they would.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially after going down 17, which against Virginia is almost impossible to climb. And they, you know, gave it a really good run still from there. Um, you know, there were a few points early in the game where, you know, I mean, Turgeon got out coached, especially in the first half. But it's Tony Bennett, who's one of the best coaches in the country. So, like, of course.
0: Well, according and, to everybody on Twitter, Mark Turgeon could get out coached by some dude on the playground. So,
1: well, this isn't this podcast isn't about everyone on Twitter. No, so, it's he, not I mean,
0: about everyone. I mean, on, here's the thing:
1: it's like Virginia is the number four team in the country, and they played very well. They turned the ball over twice all game. They uh, made half their threes in the first half, um,
0: and they always made even big shots at the end of a possession when Maryland looked like it stifled them. Which very few teams can do. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's the thing with Virginia is they make you, you know, play defense for a very long time. And it's the longest Maryland's had to play defense on some of those possessions all year. And they, you know, it, it takes one little slip and a guy's open and Virginia's shooters knock down open shots.
0: Mm-hmm. And otherwise, though, even in the first half, I didn't think they played that badly. I mean, Maryland turns the ball over. Everyone's going to turn the ball over against Virginia. I thought their offense actually executed pretty well. Now, they are not a perimeter shooting team. I think we could say that with somewhat good certainty now. But they were getting a lot of good looks right around the basket. And they were scoring a lot of points in the paint. And they were executing a lot. And it wasn't just Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith. It was everybody. And so, in many ways, they hung in. Even when they were down 17, I'm like, you know what? They don't feel like they should be down 17. Even though they're not playing great and Virginia's playing pretty well, they shouldn't be down by this much, and they ended up losing by five. I think that probably flatters them a little bit. But in overall, let's talk about this game. None of the Maryland players, I think, had a great game. Bruno Fernando had flashes. Jalen Smith had flashes. Everybody had flashes. And Anthony Cowan had a poor game by his standards, but he still had 13. And so he, I know, mean, he,
1: he played a very good, like, second half of the second half.
0: Yeah, so the final 10 minutes when he was in. And yeah,
1: I mean, he finished with a game-high 15. Uh, he had a couple threes in the
0: end. Yeah, and a lot of those were garbage threes. I was really hoping that that shot at the end went in because it would have been a great bad beat and Scott Van Pelt. sitting there. That would have been there.
1: incredible.
0: That would have been amazing and Scott Van Pelt sitting there. And that's what I was rooting for. It almost happened because I would have been like, this would have been a bad beat of a century.
1: But, I mean, because there were a couple places you could get it at four and Maryland was in, you know, within four a couple times in the final minute. Yep. But
0: if that but, three had gone in, it would have been two and it would have yeah. been fantastic. Anyway, but back to the original point. I don't think any Maryland player had a great game, particularly. And Anthony Cowan had a poor game until the end. And Maryland still lost to Virginia by five. So they had nobody take over a game, and they lost to one of the best teams in the country by five. You can go glass half full, glass half empty if you want. But the glass half full looks pretty good in this game for Maryland, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they, they showed that their their top six can, can hang with with anyone. And, you know, even – you know going down how they did will not they they won't fold in that circumstance which you know we hadn't seen them down by double digits really all year um you know fernando jack salt is a pretty good defensive center and virginia's defense in general is very difficult and fernando had his way especially in the first half um the the threes started falling a little too late but 7 of 17, like, if you said that before the game, I think you would have taken it. But it's just kind of the way they got there. It felt like it wasn't enough. And also, enough.
0: they never were in foul trouble, too. That's a problem with Maryland teams, particularly Fernando. And I think they had, like, one or two fouls in the first half, and Virginia only started getting to the foul line really late in the second half. Maryland didn't foul a lot. That's another thing that has been a problem with Maryland teams in the past, and there wasn't a problem there.
1: Yeah, it was a weird game because there were, like, 3,000 in the first half total. And then... A billion in the second. And then like a million in a second. It was, it was interesting.
0: But even then, Maryland didn't really put Virginia on the foul line all that often. And for a Maryland team that's got bigs where they don't have anything behind them, and particularly Fernando was prone to foul trouble, that's something that's really positive. And the other thing that was positive, you look at the way that, as I said, they executed a lot of their offense which was not for threes, it was mostly for twos, they had a couple of times when they missed some open looks, but mostly when they were executing those down-low plays, they worked most of the time. If they're going to work against Virginia, they're going to work against most teams.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, one thing that that really interested me from this game, um, going a little different direction here, is how Virginia went small and Maryland could only answer by going small. The Virginia lineup where instead of Braxton Key playing power forward, they slide DeAndre Hunter to the four and play Clark, the the freshman point guard, with Jerome and Guy and salt. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, plus the big three. I mean, so like, Jalen Smith, as talented as he is, cannot stay with DeAndre Hunter defensively. And as a result, like, that's what Virginia did early in the second half to really pull ahead. And so Maryland went small most of the second yeah. half. That's why Smith finished with 27 minutes. And he was a minus 14 in the game. Aaron Wiggins, who kind of came in and played a little bit of the small ball power forward, uh, stayed with Hunter a little bit. He was a plus six. So, you know, only reads so much into plus minus. But, you know, the small I'm a ball lineup, fan. They can't work, it worked. i
0: You can't anything with plus minus. I apologize for that. <laughs> I hate but, plus but minus. The, but but the at the least in basketball, worked. it's more indicative.
1: The small ball worked is kind of the, the short version of that story.
0: But, and that's funny because in the first half when Maryland was getting looks inside of Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith, that worked too. But Mark Turgeon was forced to play small ball because of how Virginia played them. And, I mean, other teams are going to try to do that, I think, against Maryland. But, again, most teams are not Virginia. This is something that we have to say about a thousand times. Maryland's going to play a lot of good teams this year. And the Big Ten, I think after the Big Ten ACC Challenge, There's evidence that there's going to be a lot of good teams that Maryland's going to have to play this year. None of them are like Virginia. So in many ways, this game is very, I'm trying to think, elucidating might be a decent word. Yeah, and
1: none of those teams have a guy who can do what DeAndre Hunter can do as that small ball power
0: forward. No. I mean, most of these other teams are at least somewhat big. I mean, even watching Michigan destroy North Carolina, at least they're somewhat big. So Maryland can keep Jalen Smith and Bruno Fernando on the floor. And more of a traditional look. And we know Mark Turgeon's always wanted his teams to try to play that way. He likes his bigs. You know, he's always had some good swingmen who could shoot, and he doesn't really have that this year, but he's always wanted his offense to go more through the bigs, and with Smith and Fernando, he's got two great offensive options for that. If any player played their best game, it was probably Bruno Fernando. I mean, he had some defensive moments against Jack Salt that were not great, but offensively, he had his way. And we were wondering, what was Bruno Fernando going to look like in these games like that? If he plays like that against most other teams, Maryland's probably going to win.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he was 6 of 8, 14 points, 11 rebounds, 4 of them on the offensive end, 2 assists, 2 blocks.
0: Very energetic most of the night. Yeah, and he stayed out of foul trouble.
1: I mean, that's, that's really as much as you could ask for. And it's encouraging to know, I mean, you know. Virginia, you know, again, isn't the biggest team, and he will face bigger guys, but Virginia's a tough defensive team, and Jack Salt is a tough guy to beat, and he, he really played well with them.
0: I also thought Sorel Smith, when he came in, played decently well. I mean, that was the only player outside of the Big Six that you could actually say, did he play? I mean, even better was in the game for like 30 seconds, and I don't remember if anybody else played, but Sorrell Smith had a nice moment or two.
1: So Turgeon, after playing the starters for about eight and a half minutes, Nine and a half minutes, almost. He brought in Lindo, Bender, Sorrell Smith, and Aaron Wiggins at the same time. And that lineup, it felt like that lineup got destroyed. It, they only, you know, were outscored two nothing over about a two minute stretch. And Bender and Lindo didn't return to the game.
0: Sorrell Smith was okay when
1: he played. Sorrell Smith played pretty well. I mean, he he did get one bucket. His stats don't suggest that he played pretty well. He's you know a, a lot better of an all on ball defender than Turton. But, like, I think we thought he would be coming into the season.
0: I think it's also and you're playing Virginia. a lot of on that end. You know, you're playing Virginia. There's only so much you could do. I mean, I thought, you know, Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins also had their moments, too, when they played. And you know, that was Maryland in this game. Everybody had a moment or two, but nobody took over the game. You know what I mean? And, as I said, if Maryland's losing by five to Virginia and no one takes over a game... That's pretty positive when you figure somebody's going to take over a game at some point in a big game for Maryland down the stretch, and they're going to have a lot of big games. And if Maryland can play like that, they're going to beat a lot of those teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, you know, it's hard to be more encouraged after you see a team lose because of a few certain things, but it's hard to be discouraged about Maryland at this point.
0: Uh, here's the other thing about moral victories. Last year, Maryland was pretty bad. And this program is still trying to find its feet again in some ways. And you're playing a really young team against one of the best teams in the country who could win a national championship even if they lost to UMBC last year. I don't know really why we're saying, ah, Maryland fans, yeah, you don't want moral victories. I mean, I understand why you're disappointed because it's Virginia and no one likes Virginia. But even then, it's like, I don't know how you could be angry having watched that. You know, and then the idea that Maryland doesn't have many chances for big games later in the year – they play Michigan twice. Michigan just killed North Carolina after killing Villanova. They play Michigan State. They play Iowa. They play Indiana. They play Wisconsin. They play Purdue. They're going to have plenty of chances to win big games. They're going to have a chance next Thursday to win the big game. Maryland's going to be pretty fine if that's an indicator of where they can be. And again, they turned the ball over like 11 times more than Virginia did. They didn't hit any threes until the end of the game, and they still lost by five against, again, one of the best teams in the country. I think that I'm not... I wouldn't say more encouraged, but for all intents and purposes, I don't know how many negatives I could take away from that game. And now we're going to see whether that's built upon. And this is, of course, coming after a game in which Maryland beat a team that made the round of 32 last year, beating them by 37, which we should say something about that Marshall game. Maryland destroyed them in a way that I don't think anyone thought was possible.
1: No, I mean, it was the kind of game I think – just on Marshall's end it kinda of spiraled out of control for them. Um I mean Maryland took two guys who were averaging a combined forty four a game and held them to to a combined fifteen. And there was like <laughs> the guy who went off for Marshall, Jansen Williams, was averaging like eight and a half points a game coming into that. Um, and he fouled out in the second half. And so they didn't have anything in the second half. Um and Maryland put a hundred and four on him. <laughs> yeah, I mean Maryland, you know, was it was playing fast and it was, you know, doing everything it could do. I mean, they did a lot of things against Marshall that they just couldn't do against Virginia. Like, you know, Virginia just doesn't allow those things. Um, but When
0: you play team not named Virginia, you probably can. Yeah,
1: so, I mean, that Marshall game for, for me and I think for a lot of people was the game that really opened your eyes to what this Maryland team can be. And they showed, you know, some glimpses of you know that against Virginia as well they didn't show it enough but the glimpses are there and I think we'll need to keep seeing those
0: well at least Maryland doesn't play the ACC Big Ten challenge all the time because they're 0-5 in those since they moved to the Big Ten which is still bemusing to me that that has happened but now they get two games in the Big Ten uh, because now they're up to 20 games they have to fit them in somewhere Penn State on Saturday, that game's now at 5, by the way. It's not at when it was originally scheduled. They switched it with Northwestern-Indiana because they didn't want the Northwestern fans distracted as they're about to get destroyed by Ohio State in the football game. So that game's now at 5, so keep note of that. Penn State has lost a couple games, just beat Virginia Tech. This is a game that Maryland should be winning at home. Penn State's one of the few teams in the Big Ten that's probably looked a little bit meh so far, and I know Maryland had some struggles with them last year, but this is a game at home that they probably should win, and I think they probably will. Uh, And then next Thursday's game against Purdue is very interesting. Purdue's a really good basketball team. They've lost to Virginia Tech and Florida State already. Uh, Both of them were pretty close. Purdue is a team that's kind of a lot like Maryland, in which they've got some good returning players, but a lot of young players, a lot of questions. Maryland's not been good on the road. If they can go into Purdue and win, I don't know if they'll be ranked at that point, but that's the kind of game that Maryland, if they win, it'll show you, okay, this is what this team is truly capable of. And even if they lose, I'm not sure it's a bad – would be a bad thing, but I'm not sure it's going to be terrible for the season if they lose on the road at Purdue. But these are the kind of games that, again, it's going to show us how much these glimpses are actually what Maryland is as opposed to just glimpses of what they could be.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, as far as Penn State, Penn State has been playing early in the year without Mike Watkins, who's really their, their shot-blocking big man. Um, he returned, and they beat Virginia Tech. And so they're a pretty good team. Uh, I don't think they're quite as good as Maryland, and I think Maryland should beat them at home. But you know, you, you, it's a game you got to be careful about for sure. Um, Purdue obviously has Carson Edwards, and then a lot of question marks. We've seen Ryan Klein has been kind of the guy to me that stood out. But you know, they've got I think the biggest advantage they'll have over Maryland, other than Edwards, is they'll be playing at home. And Maryland
0: struggled, especially action. struggled
1: on the road. Yeah, it'll be their first road game. That's not Navy. Navy does not count. Yeah. That's not a road game. No, because that game was half Maryland fans anyway.
0: This is what I said. If there's a game played in the state of Maryland where Maryland is the road team, it's not a road game. They don't count. Maryland's playing in Washington. It's not a road game. So this is an actual road game, and it'll be difficult. But on the evidence of Maryland playing against Virginia, I think they can go in there and win. not saying they will, but I think they can go in there and win. And if they do, that's a great sign going forward. If they can end this stretch, when it ends against Loyola Chicago, playing and going 4-1, and don't think any Maryland fan can complain about that.
1: No, not at all. I mean, the interesting thing with, is just with the two Big Ten games because, you know, when you restart conference play in January, you know, it, it is restarting, and so you already have a record. And so it's one of those, if you're 2-0, and you're feeling great. If you're 1-1, and like Maryland was last year, you know, you're feeling kind of a little uneasy, okay. But then if you're 0-2, you're you're in a real hole. And
0: Last year, they was th- close to Purdue and then gave away a game. They were almost almost gave away a game. They were completely dominating against oh, Illinois. Oh,
1: they gave that game away, and then they still won it for some reason.
0: That game makes no sense, and it will never make sense to me in any way, shape, or form. But Penn State and Purdue this year will be interesting. I know they start conference play against Rutgers since we have to mention them on every single show, since we're contractually obligated to. Anyway, anything else you want to say about the basketball before we move on to other sports that are much, much, much less happy to talk about?
1: I mean, I, th- I think that's that's really it.
0: Enjoy the blackout. Yeah, that was fun. That looked cool. Uh, did you see any good UMBC jokes? I didn't. I didn't see them either. I'm disappointed. I thought Maryland fans were going to step up their game for that.
1: There were a few chants. That's it.
0: Yeah, I saw one sign in the ESPN opening, but that was it. Uh, Now we move on to football. And, uh, yeah, do we really have to talk about football? I guess we kind of do because the season's over now. But that's probably merciful on all of our heads. Uh, Are you surprised by the way that game against Penn State ended? I'm not (laughs) in any way.
1: No, I mean, it's kind of the, I guess, worst case scenario that I felt, you know, could happen. Like, they, they moved the ball a little bit, but they didn't move the ball enough early. And then Penn State just pulled away. And Maryland kind of ran out of gas. And I, I said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they run out of gas at some point, And it, it kind of happened.
0: Second quarter, maybe yeah,
1: mid, mid second quarter? Yeah, mid-second quarter, early third. I mean, Penn State kind of jumped on them early, too. And Maryland didn't have quite enough to get back in it, really.
0: I don't think anybody could be surprised by that. I kind of thought that's how this was going to go as well.
1: No, I mean, you know, Maryland had enough chances to get to that sixth win, and this was never really going to be it. But, you know,
0: technically. No one likes Penn State, but at this point, I think most Maryland fans have probably checked out. So it's like, eh, whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, at this point, you know, there are still decent things to
0: talk about with all Big Ten teams. Trey Watson got a first team nod from media. Despite the fact that he missed probably about two games via targeting penalties. Yeah, around that. Certainly felt like it.
1: I mean, he was ejected
0: three times. Not. One of
1: them was well-timed. Yeah.
0: It's funny to think about that. You can beat all big think, I, and have like probably three targeting penalties.
1: Of the, I think two of the three were questionable at best.
0: Yeah, I don't like the targeting role. I don't think anybody likes the targeting role. But Trey Watson was very good this year. He was exactly what Maryland needed, and it's a shame that he doesn't get to play in a bigger bowl game because he deserves it. He played really well this year.
1: Retweet. Yeah. And then Anthony McFarlane got a second team nod, Darnell Savage and Antoine Brooks each got some second team recognition on the defensive side. Damian Prince got a third team spot on offense and then for some reason Derwin Gray and Brandon Moore got honorable mentions. I think that, I think that's mostly cuz of Maryland had a really good running game and those guys both played a role in that and they're kind of third fourth year starters. And so mm-hmm. there's a natural there's sort of a reputation that goes with that, even if it felt like Gray wasn't that good this year. Um, you know, he had a lot of penalties, in, you know, Gray in particular. And, you know, he got beat a few times. He didn't strike me as an all-conference guy. Uh, he might still have a pro career. He's got, you know, the size to do it. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how that goes for him.
0: There are a lot of potential pro prospects on this team. I mean, we're not talking first-round picks, but we're talking a lot of day three guys, it seems.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Moore and Prince were guys who had a, you know, somewhat of a chance last year. I think. Um, Ty Johnson was another who kind of considered it. I don't know if Darnell Savage seriously considered it, but I think he should be a pro. And um, Watson, of course. I mean, Watson played his way into the draft for sure.
0: He's a good, a great day three linebacker that any team would like to have. Yeah. Gets there everywhere as a tackling machine. I would certainly love my team to draft him. He would be a better uh, linebacker than the one the Washington football team just took. Anyway, uh, let's now go to the coaching search aspect of this. There is public reporting, of course, that says that they are very interested in Mike Oxley. That seems obvious now because Alabama still has a game to play. I don't think they've talked to him yet. Surely they're going to talk to him very soon. He seems to be the favorite, all things considered, which is not a surprise. Some of the reporting indicates he really wants the job which, duh, of course he does. Uh, Believe there has also been reported that Matt Canada is interviewed for the full-time job?
1: Matt Canada interviewed Tuesday. Loxley will slash should interview after the SEC title game. Could be as early as Sunday. I don't know of any other people that have been interviewed. There there are names that get kind of tossed out as somewhat realistic. Um, I don't know how many of those people Maryland has talked to at this point.
0: It's interesting because, like, it really feels legit. Like they're going to interview the only two people who really should get the job, one of whom is the guy that has all the connections to the area, and the other is the interim head coach from last year. But I can't think of any other names. That are like, okay, Maryland really should interview him. You know what I mean? And a lot. No, of- I mean just because
1: of the nature of this this job right now. You know, it's not like three years ago when Maryland could really go on the national search. And it's like we're trying to, you know, build something new it's this is a kind of repair rescue job and you know that's the list of people who can do that and be trusted with it is is smaller than you know what it would normally be
0: basically two guys unless there's another name that's out there that I can't really put to mind right now
1: yeah i mean if you if you don't think maryland connections are important then you know other coaches who've been a head coach before and you know, you know, still know the area at least without maybe, you know, maybe without knowing the school itself. Um, You know, there's a lot of promise in that, but there hasn't, there doesn't seem to be anyone who fits that as perfectly as, as those two guys.
0: Yeah. So it kind of seems like we're going to get an answer pretty soon. Maybe. Well, the question comes in with what happens with if, if Loxley's the guy what happens with him? Does Maryland hire him and let him stay until Alabama's season is done? Or what happens there? Because with Lane Kiffin, they turfed him. Well, Alabama did. But they let Jeremy Pruitt stay on. I don't believe they let Kirby Smart stay on. Maybe they did. I don't remember. So I think they did. But I don't so, like, remember off the top of my head. I mean, Maryland's got like a, what, an eight-person recruiting class for 2019? And, I mean, Maryland would probably want and to And National Signing Day is in three and a half weeks. Yeah, I think Maryland would kind of want Loxley in. Like or Canada at this point. I
1: mean if you, I mean when you hire a coach, you know, that coach does start day one. It's it's a few guys are able to manage the multitasking part of it. Because of I I think I would be kind of surprised at this point if if Maryland hired Loxley and he stayed because of how much attention he would need to devote
0: to you know, trying to put together a recruiting class. Do you think that would be a deal-breaker for hiring Loxley? If Saban would want him to stay until presumably December 29th or whatever the day is when the one of the playoff games would be? There's just no way Alabama's missing the playoff. I don't think it would be a deal-breaker, honestly. If he's the guy, he's the guy. And all indications are he is the guy. What, what, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that more if he actually is hired, but... Most Maryland fans seem to be pretty okay with that. Yeah, I
1: mean, there are questions that if he does get hired, you know, will need to be answered. He has, you know, a a checkered past, but he makes
0: a lot of sense. And I think,
1: you know, I've kind of talked myself into it at this point.
0: I I just don't think that there's any option that many people would say would be better. And I think Matt has done a fine job, but, you know, I I have my reservations about Mike oxley i've made them very clear on this podcast and i stand by those reservations again this is a hiring that maryland has to get right otherwise the football program goes i mean we're not talking like kansas level bad but you could be because they're already in the dumps now and in the dumps they won five games like if they don't get this right it could be very very bad times and this is a risky hire whoever it is and we'll see what maryland does but Tend to think that they're going to get us an answer pretty soon because the entire coaching search for college football this year has moved really, really quickly. I mean, a lot of it's mid majors, but I mean, other than basically, I don't know, Louisville and Colorado, who else is up there? That's that's big name ish and hasn't already hired somebody.
1: Those are really the only names that that I've seen that haven't
0: hired anyone. Because UNC hired Mac Brown really
1: UNC had the, had the had a real quick turnaround i think a lot of the schools that um you know are still playing this weekend the, not every school that's got, that has fired its coach will or that will fire its coach has by this point but i think th- there's just oh, it's yeah. just not going to be a super active cycle
0: i forgot about georgia tech yeah georgia tech too mm-hmm. but there's a weird job because you're coming off somebody who ran the triple option so i don't really know how Important that is to their search, but also because there was no big job that opened up. You know what I mean? Like a lot of coaches that were on the hot seat ended up kind of keeping their jobs alive. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, USC in particular, and there wasn't even that big of a hot seat for a lot of other guys.
0: So like, that's why Maryland in many ways could have had a great year going for a national search, but they can't.
1: Yeah. And there also just aren't a ton of like, there's no Scott Frost this year. Who is such an up and coming coach and a mid major that everyone, you know, feels like Jeff he's going to be a star? Kinda. But he's, he's already at Purdue. A, he, he was already at Purdue, and it felt like, you know, unless he was leaving for a huge job that wasn't, you know, none of those were open, it was going to be for Louisville, which is where he's from. I didn't and I mean, it. no, he didn't take it.
0: Uh, it's, it's true, but whatever the case may be, I think we'll get an answer very, very shortly on Maryland's coaching search. And when we do, of course, we will have a large podcast to talk about said things. I think most of the damage control for Maryland is trying to keep as many people as they can here because they're losing a lot to graduation. And if the recruiting class is tiny, which it looks like it's going to be, that's hugely important. Yeah, I mean,
1: a lot of this is, you know, especially on offense, sort of the core skill position guys, uh, there's a lot of talent returning there. So you want to make sure that... um, you know, none of them really defect and you want to keep the current recruits in and you want to try and grab a few light ones to, to just bolster depth because they're on pace to lose so much more than they bring in at this point. And so that's, it's really just kind of rounding out the roster. They've got a a few decent pieces in place, but you know, the next year was always going to be the year where a lot of the. Durkin recruits blue chips and high three stars. We're going to have to, you know, take that next step.
0: Well, it's skill positions. They're going to be all right, but offensive line, they're going to have to completely rebuild that. Not like it was great to begin with. And defensively, I mean, they have to replace a lot on defense. I mean, every level of the defense, they have to replace some very key contributors.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and all those spots do have either guys who played a decent amount of rotational snaps this year or guys who were blue chip recruits on, especially on like the defensive line. But you know, there will be a lot of unknown commodities.
0: Absolutely. So that's football. We'll get to more of that. When a coach is hired, we think it could be next week, but stay tuned. Of course, testudo times for that. Let's now go on to non-revenue sports things. We'll go positive instead of negative first. Yeah. Somebody beat Duke and it was great. I cared about that way more than the football last weekend, and yeah, that was that was awesome.
1: Yeah, that so Maryland sports really awesome. are now Maryland sports are two and zero against Duke in twenty eighteen. Field hockey beat them. Yeah, field hockey beat them early in the year uh, in College Park in Maryland. Men's soccer, which a real incredible kind of turnaround for that team
0: because they um, were bad for a while, and now they're in the elite eight. Yeah, I mean they were
1: unranked didn't receive votes for almost the entire season they didn't score a goal in their first four games um the defense kind of held it together and then they started scoring a little and winning a little and you know they put a good resume together by the end of it got the number 11 overall seed and you know it got them a chance to pull off you know that upset against duke and and they play friday night
0: friday night against, against
1: kentucky at, at kentucky um,
0: wait, wait, Duke, Kentucky, what, you it? know, of
1: all, of all the Maryland teams in recent years for that, for this one to be potentially the one knocking on the door of the college cup
0: would really be something. Cause, cause they had a team that was unbeaten until the tournament and then they lost. They've had a lot of good teams that screwed up in the tournament. And this is the one that's probably the worst of the lot. And I bet Sasha would tell you in a candid moment, that's the case and or at least least be- talented. Well, of course it is. Every Maryland soccer yes. team is talented. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But when you look at some of the teams in recent years that Maryland's had, I mean, hello, a guy who's about to move to Manchester City was once on Maryland and they didn't get anywhere near close to the College Cup with him there. Yeah. Be excited Which, by the to way, how about that? You play for Dutch clubs you've never heard of, by the way, or Spanish clubs you've never heard of, by the way, or New York City FC if it all goes horribly wrong. Sorry, I had yeah. to say that. Yeah, okay, so what are are we expecting from him at Man City, Matt? Here is what I can tell you what I expect from him at Man City. He will more than likely be the backup this year, I think, for the rest of the year, because their made backup, Claudio Bravo, who they had bought to be the guy, but is actually very bad, Uh, he tore his Achilles. So their backup is a guy from Montenegro, I think, who you've never heard of before, who was on loan, who they had to recall to be the reserve. So, Pep might bring him in to be the backup, which means he's going to play in an FA Cup tie against English club you've never heard of. My joke is Crawley Town, but it could be anybody. And so, you may see him in one or two games. And then, when Bravo gets healthy, he's not playing—Sax it is is not better than Ederson. Anybody who's watched any level of soccer will tell you that. So, he will probably go on loan— the clubs that I would think he could go on loan to are Girona, who Pep Guardiola's brother half-owns in the City Football Group. Half-owns, they're a La Liga club that's decent. So he could play there, probably be the starter. He could go to some Dutch club you've never heard of. NAC Breda is one where another U.S. player that Manchester City brought in was on loan to. He could go on loan to any number of places. What I expect to happen is Manchester City probably buys him for seven to $10 million. And he plays a couple of years, and then they sell him for 5 to $10 million more than that. So if he plays for Manchester City, he's not going to play very much for them, unless he turns out to be so good that Pep Guardiola has no choice. And while I love Zach Steffen, and I think he's really, really good, and I thought he's been the U.S.'s future in goal for about God, five years since I first saw him play, he's not better than Ederson. So take that for what it's worth. But a Maryland player is going to be playing for one of the best clubs in the world.
1: All right, so uh, apologies now for coming out as a Closet Man City fan, I guess.
0: Uh, no. That's, that's not <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I mean, well, I guess it's the have... Tottenham fans who showed up for a year because of Clint Dempsey. That's fair. Yeah, it, it's fine. I mean, it's a it's a great move for Zach Steffens' pocketbook. I mean, it's great for Sasha Swarovski, too, <laughs> to say, hey, look, look at where Zach Steffens playing. But, I mean, for his career and as somebody who follows the U.S. men's national team very closely – don't know whether it's the best move, but who am I to tell somebody who's about to make a killing going to Manchester City? And if Manchester yeah, it, City calls you, listen. Yeah. That's, I mean, again, I have my qualms about it, but they're very inside soccer. And if you are listening to this as just a casual Maryland fan, you're not going to complain about that. And... In terms of Maryland actually playing Kentucky on Friday, I have no idea how good Kentucky is. They're the third seed in the country. They play in CUSA in men's soccer, by the way. In case you didn't know that, the SEC... Yeah, some of these these other conferences are wild. The SEC, where it means more, does not sponsor men's soccer.
1: Yeah, this is my favorite thing about, like, covering these other college sports, is the ones that just don't have random sports, like how Florida's in the Big East and women's lacrosse. Yeah. And how... Denver's in the Big East in one of these conferences. I think it might be soccer.
0: It's possible. Denver is uh, very much not East. Well, again, remember where they almost had Boise State in the Big East for football? Uh, yes. So that nearly happened. Uh, as I said, I don't know how good Kentucky is. If Maryland beats them, then that's obviously amazing. And you'll get to hear Taylor Twellman try to talk about Maryland during the College Cup and not fawn over them. Oh, he won't because he's great. But, I mean, it's hard for somebody to call uh, games for your school and i mean for him taylor twelman was a very good player for sasho many years ago so i'll be interested Mm -hmm. in seeing that i don't know whether they'll beat kentucky but i'm certainly rooting for them like that guy i want them to potentially beat because it would be as you said it would be amazing if this team of all teams is the one that makes the college cup because this is not a vintage maryland team they've had more teams where they've had more like actual pros on it than this one probably does Oh, by the way, if you haven't seen the goals from this game, go to the Maryland Men's Soccer Twitter account and see some of the games. One of them is an amazing flying scissor kick. And great goals are great, especially when they're against teams you hate. And four teams you like. And four teams you... Oh, yeah. That that, that first goal was just awesome. So, good on you, Sasha and company. Beat Kentucky. I would be very excited if that happened, and then I can spend time watching them play in the College Cup, which Maryland hasn't been in since 2013. 13 or 14 I don't remember the last time they were in the college cup it's been a while it's been a couple of years and for Maryland Sanders, that is a bit of a long time coming so I'm excited for that and the final non-revenue sport we will talk about is women's basketball the last time we talked about them they kicked the stuffing out of South Carolina who's now down to 18th in the polls they had a couple of games they were close against Georgia is that worrying
1: not really Georgia's pretty good I think you know, the fact that it's a close game isn't necessarily worrying. The fact that they went pretty silent on offense for a while is worrying. This is this has been an interesting start in that at at Media Day, Brenda Freeze goes up to a podium and says our defense isn't where we would like it to be at this point because we're so young, or because there are a lot of freshmen and sophomores on the team. But like the defense has been incredible and it's been the offense that kind of needs to catch up if Maryland wants to, you know, put the pedal down and Move up in the rankings and all that so it's it's been an interesting uh start, but they're unbeaten.
0: I believe we were recording this Thursday, so I think they're playing Georgia Tech in the ACC Big Ten challenge they are oh, I actually remembered that wow
1: yeah it's been it's been a weird couple of of years for matchups for them on that because you know they're the basically yes, team, premier yeah they've been the premier team in the Big Ten, especially for a challenge like this just geographically. In the last two years, they've gotten Virginia, which is not a premier women's basketball school at all, and Georgia Tech. So
0: it's it, it's been a little surprising there. So who else do they have after Georgia Tech?
1: Well, they've got UMBC Sunday. Um, I'm looking at it now. They'll they'll close their non-conference against James Madison, Loyola Maryland, and at Delaware. Um, at Delaware is a decently difficult game, but Maryland should e- easily enter conference play. Um you know, pretty emphatically unbeaten. And then they start Big Ten play at Penn State and they, uh, host Rutgers on New Year's Eve.
0: Mm. And then they play Ohio State, which is not as good as it has been. And well, Nebraska on the road could be interesting.
1: I yeah, guess. Nebraska was good last year, but I don't really know what to expect from them now. I mean, the the Big Ten in general, and we'll probably continue talking about this as the season goes um Big 10 looks a little down this year. Uh Iowa really the team that stood out to a lot of people cuz they have Megan Gustafson back, but even Iowa has lost a few um I think they lost at least one kind of questionable game at home, so
0: you know, they Maryland to Florida State in the Bahamas.
1: Yeah. Uh okay. Right. There are a couple teams receiving votes, but you know, it's an underwhelming league at least at the moment
0: it's kind of the opposite of the men it's like where the men don't have an amazing team i mean i guess you could call michigan that but
1: michigan at this point after last after last night has jumped into that to me yeah
0: but even then it's like the big 10 and the men looks to have a lot of great depth where for the women you have maryland and then a couple of good teams and then it tails off yeah like, the men, you could have teams one through nine being pretty somewhat decent. And then in there... I mean, Big
1: be, Ten could mess around and have, like, eight or nine NCAA tournament teams this year. That would be Maryland could
0: be one of them. I'm surprised. Yeah. Maryland yeah. should be one of them. That could be exciting. But, uh, yeah, so we can focus on that as time goes on. Uh, is there anything else that we mentioned? The field hockey season is over, so we can't talk about that. And we should talk about volleyball just before we go. Another year where they just miss out on the NCAA tournament. And we're talking what was it? Last year I think they were first four out or close to it, and this year they last had to be close year, to
1: that too. Last year they were the first team out. And this year they were the third team
0: out. So this is kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, it's 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 just a cruel world really. I mean, Maryland, especially this year where they had a you know, a few five set losses in non conference play that, you know, you you kinda just feel like one or you know, winning one or two of those puts them over the top because they
0: won on you know? the road at a ranked team,
1: which they didn't do last year. They had a better big 10 record. Uh, the big 10 wasn't like as loaded this year, but Maryland finishing, I think eighth in the conference winning nine games out of 20 is, you know, as impressive as easily as impressive as they've done. Um, and I mean, of course, just to do all this after losing, you know, the coach and then the two high profile recruits and then another, a couple more real key players uh, for Adam Hughes to come in, keep everyone else, um, you know, bring in a couple late additions that, that were really helpful all year, both through transfers and, uh, you know, late recruits. It, it's been real impressive to see he did as good a job as as you could ask for.
0: So third time lucky next year,
1: should be. Everyone's pretty much everyone's coming back. I mean, only Liz Twilly and Abby Bence are leaving this year's team and. Both of them played pretty good roles, but the the core will be returning.
0: Hmm, that would be nice, because it seems like this program's been bubbling up for, like, years, and now it feels like they finally could get there, and then just one loss probably knocks them out of the tournament.
1: Yeah, it helps. Erica Pritchard, you know, was kind of the one outside hitter that stayed when a lot of other outside or opposite hitters left, and Erica Pritchard was just named first-team All-Big Ten.
0: That's a good positive.
1: On an on an eight-player team with three Illinois players, three Minnesota players, and a Michigan star.
0: Uh huh. So. You see, here's the thing about volleyball that I like: is that all the good schools of volleyball are schools that are not really good at anything else. <laughs> Illinois, they just gave Lovey Smith another long contract <laughs> extension. Uh,
1: Minnesota's and... kind of been middling in the in the rev sports for a little bit.
0: Now, they there's Nebra- hockey, but that doesn't really count in our in our vantage point. To rev sport to them, it is it is a very important sport to Minnesota. I can tell you, having followed hockey long enough. And
1: volleyball is Nebraska's rev sport.
0: Yeah, volleyball is basically well, since where look at where football is at this point, four yeah. and eight, they're a volleyball school. Yes, but you know what? For Maryland, and the, the whole conference can wrestle, and the whole conference can wrestle. This is also true. Has the wrestling season started yet?
1: Uh there have been a couple sort of very informal matches. Maryland actually has dual meets coming up soon. Oh, okay. So we'll have we'll have coverage. We'll have a writer. Yes, uh, very good. Get ready.
0: Um I'm, I'm ready for that as in I don't know anything about wrestling. <laughs> All right, well, time to learn. I uh, better at this point. <laughs> All right, I think that's it. And yes, so Maryland basketball, not as bad as we think. there's optimism about Maryland basketball. That's good. We might have a football coach soon and go men's soccer because it's still the best program at Maryland that isn't lacrosse or field yep. hockey, I guess. It's my favorite yeah. program at Maryland. Can't really argue with it. Uh, not, not from my background, I can't. And uh, good luck to Zach Steffen as he now has to play back up to Ederson and gets to play Crawley Town in January in a game on ESPN+. And that will be the only time you will ever see him in a Manchester City kit. But he will make a lot of money, and he will still be the number one keeper for the U.S. when he plays for his former club manager, who should be announced as the U.S. Men's national team coach. Any day now, guys. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week, we think, with coaching news. Possible, if not, we'll be back after the preview game. But until then, of course, go terms.